You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition. Now, Federal has come out with a new turkey load called the Heavyweight TSS or the Heavyweight Tungsten Super Shot. Now, this is a tungsten alloy material and it's 18 grams per cubic centimeter density now what this means is it is it's 22 percent higher than standard tungsten and 56 percent higher than lead so it is a a very dense material and it has the ability to travel at high velocities and continue that velocity at longer distances it has deadly patterning and it also has something called flight control flex and that is when that rear braking wad performs flawlessly through ported and standard turkey chokes so if you want to find out more information about the heavyweight tungsten super shot visit federalpremium.com and while you're there don't forget to check out their podcast and their blogs tons of great content welcome to the land and legacy podcast we're your hosts adam keith and matt die this is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, welcome back to another Land and Lakes podcast. Before we get kicked off, we want to thank one of our partners to make this podcast happen. That is First Light. You can check them out at firstlight.com. If you've watched our videos, shoot, if you've even heard us talk about it on the podcast, we've been wearing First Light for oh, about a year now through deer season, turkey season, and yep. and uh, kind of all arise from our inability to stay warm in the deer stand. Our troubles, and, uh, <laughs> trials and we troubles. We decided to go with something that was a little less clothing, a little more gear-oriented, and high-quality gear, and... Uh, Man, we just could not be more thrilled to be wearing First Light and now even more thrilled to be partnered up with First Light and them supporting our podcast. So check it out at firstlight.com. Before I kick that off, you got anything you want to say? I was just going to say great conservation partner too. Yeah. Which is, which is like, oh, oh, you have great gear? 
Oh, and you love conservation? Sweet. Yeah. Like for- that that like mentality of of what it is they're trying to accomplish um as a as a business and as a message. Um it's like, oh yeah, walk in stride, stride and stride. Um kind of with with them. So that's that's also a definite positive. Got the right mindset of where they want to do and make an impact for hunters, for land, for habitat and the critters that we chase. So I love that part. Yes. So we're going to kick this podcast off and jump into a little bit of a uh, podcast regionally specific for some of you guys. It's kind of a big region, but let's just say the gist of it is you guys in the northern climate. Um, I just got back from a several day trip in Pennsylvania and Matt just got back from a trip in Minnesota. And for our consulting business, if you guys didn't know (laughs) you've been living under rock if you've listened to this podcast and you didn't realize that but we're consultants and so with you being in pennsylvania or (laughs) you being in minnesota yep me returning to pennsylvania but you in minnesota i believe that makes it 27th or 28th state yep my and i know kyle's headed to florida Mm -hmm. in in about a week or so to work way down south in Florida to help a big ranch uh, and the quail population down there. So that might make it the 29th That's state. The 29th. I don't know. Yep. We've been too busy, too busy to even formulate that. Um, but um, with our trip, uh, it's kind of a, a great reminder, a great conversation. We have a lot of listeners in, well, Michigan, Minnesota, yeah. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Northern Ohio. Shout out to you guys. Um, New and York so and Maine as even, well. Even Canada. Even We've had Canada. several people write sure in from Canada. But um, with that being said, it's a totally different beast when it comes to managing compared to what we do in southern Missouri or especially what we do in Mississippi, Georgia, South Carolina. Now, the, the principles are the same, but the way mm-hmm. we attack it and the way we're laying out projects, totally different. Yes. Things that we are going to talk about in this podcast, we would probably get ran out of the state if we went down to Arkansas and said, we're going to do this. Oh, yeah. Oh, It'd yeah. be like, get, just get out of here. Out of here, dog. Yeah. I, I think and it's, it's it just brings to the, to the importance of as, as everyone is out there consuming information, uh, varied resources, and reading articles, and watching videos, and, and wherever you're getting information – Always be mindful of where that, I don't want to say information coming from, but I, I mean that regionally. Yeah. Like what works in some regions, that may work fantastic. And it doesn't mean it's applicable in your region. It means that maybe you can learn from that and say, okay, I, I understand that. I can see where that plays a role. But then tailor make that into how it's a mo- most applicable in your region. We can't just yeah. say, hey, soybeans is great here, so it's going to be great down here. Yeah. Or it's going to be, you know. Sanding corn is the best late yeah. season food plot. And then you go down into South Carolina or way down south and you put, get sanding corn, you may sit there and never get consumed. We're, we're, we're talking and contrasting areas that are consistently sub-zero two feet of snow for months out of the year compared to areas that are winters are our average temple temperature 48 50 yeah. degrees like you're world where difference. if you look at 
a deer in Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. The biggest stress period is that late winter, early spring. Mm-hmm. Which, for some of us, may we may just let our mind drift and say, oh, that's like a month-long window. No, not no. up there it's no. not. When it starts snowing in October mm-hmm. and it doesn't melt and start greening up till May, yeah, that's a big window. Very large window. And I mean, we're it, talking I, – I, I talked with one of the gentlemen up there. It was like mid-April – Late April, you still get some snow flurries. That's not a big deal. It's it's very normal. Yeah. Early snow for them, uh, where I was at, specifically on one of the more northern locations, um, a, a first of September wasn't unnormal to get flurries and stuff and start having those temperatures. Um, so you, you just look at that growing season and what can happen in that growing season because we've talked about it time and time again on the podcast is as managers – land managers you need to work in growing seasons but if you have a nine month growing season compared to a five month growing season things are going to be different things are going to look a lot different and so you look at that stress period in the northern climate being late winter early spring but then you go down south and that stress period is summer yeah where it could be over 100 degrees for several weeks month a lot of mature plants month and a half Yep. And and really, if you were to take those two, we just talked about those two stress periods down south and up north and say, okay, down south, I want more, I want herbaceous plants. I, I need as much green vegetation and food that's not getting Managing wilted, in the, <laughs> wilted yeah. in, the, in the fields. Yep. And then if I'm going up north, I need that woody browse. I need something that's going to be standing and available in all that snow. Yes. And... Too many times is it a one-size-fits-all recommendation or where some guys are trying to do something. I love turnips, and they're planting mm-hmm. turnips in their food plots, and mm-hmm. it's like you've got snow over the top of those. Are you gonna have, are deer going to be digging through the snow to get to those turnips? I can tell you right now they don't want to. Yeah, is there another option? Like what? what else could I do? Yeah. Tell me. Help me. Yeah. I don't want to have to pass out shovels to have them yeah. digging through snow yeah. to get to my food plots. Let's provide food that's going to be above the snow. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's the big – Pennsylvania has some – how do I say this? Unique regulations. Yeah. Let's see. Are, are, are you unique, referencing – Unique challenges. Referencing um, uh, the sp- antlers? Specifically antlerless regulations okay. in the antler part of Pennsylvania that I was at okay. where it was so so not the antler point restrictions you're talking antler no. lists no I'm just harvesting I'm just does. getting into one thing yeah. for what I'm what I'm Got talking it. about yeah and so one regulation specifically yes. that's unique let's not open that can up. <laughs> um, let's not un- uh, turn over that stone and here we are we've got very limited ability to manage a antlerless population Mm -hmm. we know how much we we talk so much about if you're improving your habitat then your your whitetail herd will will grow grow and you'll start seeing more twins more triplets typically if you are really making some great moves with your habitat and holding capacity and so in Pennsylvania, you start all this 
there's a chance that you're going to start seeing a population grow. But you don't have the ability, specifically in this part, to go out and shoot 50 does Mm -hmm. or 20 does or 10 does even. 50 is extreme, but regardless, you have your set tags and that's it. Yes. And so I have, uh, I guess we have, but I've worked with them last year and worked again with them this year in kind of central Pennsylvania and a couple hundred acres, uh, two different parcels, and mostly timber. Mm -hmm. And when you think about a high deer number. Yeah, (laughs) still mostly timber. And 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 I can honestly say that, you know, my I, I the the hunting heritage in Pennsylvania is thick. It's oh, it's strong. Awesome. It's really really cool. And but at the same time, that heritage is also a place that you don't see a lot of people going to Pennsylvania to shoot Boone and Crockett. Sure. Yeah. And so it's kind of just a good. I mean, I think a deer camp in Pennsylvania, just oh, a good, yeah. fun place. And, and for that these guys, rich. one guy is specifically saying, I'd love to shoot a 150 or bigger here. Mm-hmm. Not very common in his part of the world. Nope. Um, and it's going to be a little bit tricky to do that with having such a high deer density. When I visited last year, um, he had done some timbering. You know, he bought the farm. Yep. And he's he's actually a logger. And he had cut a bunch of trees, and the the regen on those trees that he cut Crossed. was just hammered. They, I mean, like, they were keeping up if, over and if, above them. If they continued that for another two years, those trees were just yeah. going to perish. They yeah. were going to go. They were going to die. And oh. then, so then you're relying on a young acorn or an acorn to sprout and start to grow and and make it through the browse pressure and survive. So the chance of uh, a future in a healthy forest and having young forest available not only for food and cover but also just the next timber harvest for yeah. the future generation wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And and, and uh, I think that's an important point that most people they don't know and they can't go into the timber and recognize. But you go to those places where deer densities and no management is happening. Yeah, from a forestry side of things. You have like zero regeneration of hardwood species, and that is an issue. A healthy, sustainable forest is not just big, large trees where you can see 200 yards. Healthy, sustainable forest is something that is showing different age classes. Therefore, there is active management, and we know what the next population or generation is going to be like. We can see it coming on, but yeah. when you can't see it, that that's like an immediate red light of, What's going to happen here? Yeah, I think I see two two big two big beaming red lights, and one of those is deer have become a problem. Sure, if you're looking at it number from wise, a, from a timber yeah. standpoint of going, okay, throw the wildlife out. I'm just trying to make a harvest and set my forest up for a future harvest. The deer aren't allowing that to happen. To uh, it's to the, that drastic. It's that bad. Yeah, and. Um, that's one of the huge problems. And then the other one is just the simple fact that, um, we're trying to, when, when you think about health of a, of a deer herd, if your biggest stress period is is late winter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we've, 
we've allowed the deer density to get so high that they're either going to starve if if conditions get you know you you put that stressed deer herd under a magnifying glass mm-hmm. and you give them a really severe winter they're going to starve or they're going to be going miles away and try to find food to survive they're going to be going yep. into town they're going to do whatever they can and what's the chances of that nice up and coming buck that you had your mind your heart set on for next year what's the chances of him making it back to you by the next fall back who knows but how about just just overall decent Stress. condition yeah i mean and and not to mention okay when we have those certain types of conditions um and i, and I know pennsylvania has a very large issue specifically across the eastern portion of the state um but incredibly high tick populations as well we talk about additional stress on individual deer during the summer months you have build up and build up and build up and build up of leaf litter duff and an incredible amount of actual mammals who are hosts for tick populations obviously deer yep dogs everything me while i was there (laughs) yeah you you just continue to compound those problems those situations that that are um i want to say they're not wreaking havoc however they are having impacts on the wildlife and individuals added stress yeah just 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 add it to the equation add add stress of ticks add stress of limited food add stress of the winter add stress of social the social stress because there's so many deer um no wonder they're that 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 you're not seeing the giants come out of there. Like, well, that as well as which is this is a great thing, but there is a there's a lot of hunters in Pennsylvania, yep. which again that is a good thing. That is a great thing, but all of those things combined don't necessarily make it that destination state. And I would say to those people in not just Pennsylvania, the Keystone State, but any state that has a huge reliance of their economy based on like hardwoods timber and you have incredibly high deer densities that's an issue <laughs> like yeah. that's a that's a problem and yeah. you probably also then have a, a a large number of uh vehicular accidents too because you got yeah deer everywhere everywhere yeah insurance agents are out there like Shh. yeah <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> crazy crazy yeah and and you know so i was there last year uh, and, <clears throat> you know, I, I met the, I met the two landowners and they, they explained their goals, what they were shooting for. And, you know, we kind of sat back and I said, we, we drove through the property. And it was kind of like, okay, we're looking at, we're looking for limited resources. We're mm-hmm. looking for, increase. looking to address them. Yep. We're, we're, uh, we're also looking for things that. Mature deer, because that was a big part of their goals. Yeah. They were wanting to hunt mature deer. So we're trying to find the stuff that mature deer seek. Mm-hmm. And it's like, where's the where's the thick cover? Where's the cover from six foot down that's high stem count or mm-hmm. just shrubby? Yep. Where is it? It ain't here. It's somewhere else. And uh, so we got work to do. Where's the young forest? It's gone. They've eaten they, it. Yeah. Which, which, <clears throat> I don't know if uh, that rings a bell or anything, but 
we do all talk about the amount of woody browse that deer do eat. There's a, a great example. Forests aren't even coming back because they eat it. It's a preferential food. Now, granted, when deer are in excess, they eat a lot of different things and forage on things that they probably don't want to. However, deer hammer woody browse, especially in climates and in areas like you were in. Central PA. I think that for me, you know, when you look in those at that climate, woody browse might be the one like the foundation for me when when you when I'm managing off of it because not necessarily that I think it's bar none, it's like the most attractive. I just think that it's if you take twelve months out of the year and you look at a deer's diet, I think that woody browse makes up a huge part of that. At the same time, sure. Because it is, we're looking at the most stressful time of the year um, and trying to build off of that, then Woody Browse fills that void. Well, two, when you look at the state, it's extremely, in most cases, in the east, southeast, and through some of the portions of the, there's some there's certainly ag and pasture land, but it is very wooded. So when you were trying to do 80 grit management on it, what do you look at? You say, well, I have... From a natural resource standpoint, an abundance of trees. Yeah. How am I going to use all these trees that are already here that already have an amazing root system developed? How do I use this resource to benefit deer? Well, shoot, I'm going to cut them. And now you have young forest. So it's like, yeah. what's the biggest, quickest thing I can do? Cut the forest. Yeah. And not just cut the forest, because he's already cut a good portion sure. of this forest. But he didn't cut enough to make a significant impact. Sunlight-wise like, or, or, or regen-wise? Both. Because Got he it. didn't cut enough. Tre- he cut a lot of big trees. He cut some good timber, made some money to help pay for the farm. Mm-hmm. But And this is what I love so much about the 80-grit management is because we try to key in and use big tools or big management practices to manage this farm that are – that our ability gives you the ability to make money. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so in this case, when I toured it la- last year, I looked around. I said, we need to cut more. And fortunately, I mean. He's I've, not afraid to cut, being a logger. Being a logger, he's like, you're telling me to cut more trees. Mm-hmm. That does not bother me. And I'm like, I'm telling you we need to cut more trees. Lots. And not because <laughs> I hate trees. Sure. But because that's a limited resource here. And you, and you know how valuable that resource can be in the right condition, oh, the right shape, the right form. So, you know, a lot of fun stories happen here. Mm-hmm. When I first met this landowner, we talked a lot about big deer. We talked about 150 plus. We talked about growing and holding and hunting and strategically sure. placing. And we do all that with our consulting business. But a lot of people in the process, they get a little tidbit. They get some. They, they not, get a lot of good tidbits. They get a lot of good tidbits along the way to make them hopefully fall in love with more about their farm. And this guy, this year, we were there. I, I was there last week. And, uh, man, scarlet tanagers everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he goes, man, that bird app you got is super cool. You got to send that over here. I, what's he doing? One of the other clients yeah. that own a farm just down the road. They, uh, he's walking on, he goes, he don't even care about these birds. Let's, and we were looking at these scarlet tanagers flying around and I just like, I said, let's just take a minute and 
think about the appreciation you now have you now have for the birds that are using your farm. And he goes, what in the world did you do to me? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic point to pause on, though, because if you don't, I want to say, stop and smell the roses, though, but look at all the other things that benefit from the work that you do. Oh, maybe, yeah. maybe your goal is killing giant big deer. Great. That's awesome. We could but, still do that. Absolutely. But if that... If that is your only goal, you may be waiting a long time for that. Yep. So while you're doing that, let's let's slow down and enjoy and see how other animals are benefiting from the work because they're they're everywhere. You're saying, oh yeah, and I, you know, so I, I visited multiple parcels, multiple tracks in that right in that area. right in that area. Like and, you're, you're saying, like within five square miles. Uh, yeah, some a little bit up more in the mountains. Okay. But I stayed in the same hotel, if that's telling yeah, yeah. you anything. It was fair enough to say the same yeah, region. Less than an hour. Yeah. And, uh, I, I toured these other three parcels. That didn't have the That about on? the same size and acreage, give or take a few, a uh, hundred yard, a hundred acres higher or so. elevation? Yeah. Okay. But for the most part, um, not, not significantly yeah. different. And uh, we saw one scarlet tanager, which scarlet tanager, woodland species, woodland bird. So it kind of likes that semi-open forest. Hmm. And uh, hmm. we saw one. Yeah. One of them. All and, the other farms and that the, been we cut. go to the one farm that had been cut. I bet I saw 50. Yeah. They were everywhere. And I mean, if you don't know what a scarlet tanager looks like, it's a little similar little red to the dart summer, around. <laughs> summer tanager. It almost looks like a red bird, like cardinal color, but they take a light and p- turn it on on the inside where they almost glow. Mm-hmm. They got black wings, real pretty song, but um, they're everywhere. And they really key on, on insects, which tells us if they're there, they're eating insects. They're so not going to be there if there's not food We're creating an ecosystem or a landscape that's... Certainly has more insects. Yeah, and which this micro little climate. Jump back a couple of podcasts, and insects are just as important too, and they're, they're incredibly important right now. When you think about yep. turkeys yep. nesting and getting ready to hatch and brood rearing, we need a lot of insects, and voila! So these little birds are telling us we've got quite a few insects. At the same time, you just look around and. There's indigo buntings, and mm-hmm. there's goldfinches. There's all these other birds who also like woodlands. And they're flying around everywhere. Okay, we're starting to get somewhere. Sure. In, the birds are some of the first signs that we can see if we're going in the right direction. Absolutely. And so last year I told the landlord, I said, we need to cut more. And he said, okay, what are we thinking? Do I just need a, a general TSI, a shelter wood cut? Are we looking at a... Are we looking at a crop tree release? What are we looking at? Yep. And I told him, I said, with you and your ability of what you do for a living, there's a paper mill right back in your town. We have something to, We have something that we can do that most people can't. There's an outlet for lumber. Most people, when they do a timber harvest, logger comes in, cuts their best trees, they make money, and then they're left with... The misfits. Yeah, the the misfits. The, the or the next generation that aren't big enough yet mm-hmm. to cut. And so you basically have kind of two main schools of trees. You've got big trees that aren't worth anything, and then you've got young trees who are now going to have to compete with those bigger trees that aren't as uh, going to make as financially. Uh, Gain is not as good. Yeah, and so uh, 
Anyway, so you're left with having to come in and do TSI, mm-hmm. thin the junk out, and release those young ones. Well, because there is a paper mill, uh, the landowner had the ability to cut which, the junk. Which, which, for everyone who's listening, is wondering, okay, cool, paper mill, whatever. That's that. Their their size and the scale in which they operate on, and the species wise, they're much less picky. Picky on yeah. wood. It's more like wood. Bring it here. Uh huh. And so misshapen stuff. Yeah. Much thinner stuff. Much smaller DBH. All the way down to branches. like six inches. Yep. yep. You're able to take. So you don't have a bunch of tops laying everywhere too. Yeah. Those tops can even be processed, and so having that resource right there. Allows him, one, to make more money, but then, two... Make a healthier forest. A healthier forest and do that TSI mechanically with big equipment. <laughs> Take out the big trees, the money or the the higher dollar trees. But then, while he's in there at the same exact time, do the TSI work. Which yeah. is like, <laughs> yeah. How do I get into that game? Yeah. So, when I talked to him last year, it was like, okay... um. Yeah, we're going to cut more trees, do a crop tree release. Yeah. And so so a lot of what? Northern red oak, white oak, and chestnut, chestnut oak. oak. Yep. yep. So basically, Black oak in there too, mix? Yep, it had some black oak. And then also, you know, he had some crop trees that were hickory. So mm-hmm. we're adding some diversity to the mm-hmm. forest. There's bears uh, there. Yeah. And so he, uh, he went in and so generally when we write plans, there's, okay, first step – Whatever their goals are, but let's just say on average, first step is bedding thickets. We mm-hmm. need to get some micro clear cuts out there. And so he had, I don't know how many I put on this. This is in between, it's around 350 acres. Okay. And, you know, I think probably a dozen, I'd say, mm-hmm. clear cuts. And generally it's like, let's shoot for hopefully half this year and half next year. Sure. Or a quarter this year and a quarter. Once you get the scales going up, yeah, yeah. hit hard. We're just going to keep trying to expand and then we give them a tsi area Mm -hmm. that may involve a combination of sorts just so we can get them to make the improvements as quickly as possible and so it may be cutting and felling it may be hacking squared it may be a combination of sorts it may be even getting a timber harvest in there yeah this landowner did all but like one main unit maybe two main units and I have only like six on the property. You're talking about from a TSI standpoint. Timber stand improvement yeah. standpoint. He did four out of the six. In 12 months. In 12 months. And he did every single one of his clear cuts. I like that. So you want to talk about changing the landscape. You want to talk about Regen City. It's right that, there. That's what our, our plan was. And you know, I made the post last year where I, I think I put on a social media said that we're, we're attempting to create some young forests and do some habitat things in Pennsylvania. And I had, we had several questions where guys were like, mm-hmm. you're going to ha- you're gonna have to cut a bunch of timber if you think you're going to be able to get ahead of the deer. Sure. And so I, I visited on. in May, yeah, and I talked to the landowner. He was like, let's do it. And he goes, you tell me. You you probably got on the plane May of last year to come home, and he no, jumped. No, I was the- right at – it was – Two degrees when I was there in January. Oh, that was okay, January. So yeah. right. So now I'm you here. left, and he probably said, "Boys, bring in the crew as you hopped he on did, the plane." Pretty and much to get that amount of work done. One, you have to have the right equipment, have the right the right crew, and the right determination. But he just flat got out, 
got after it. Oh, that, and that's just part of what he did. Like, right. He made, I laid out two new food plots, and you know me, I don't typically lay out new food plots for a landowner. Yeah. Because usually what we find are that acres of food plots that are there aren't getting maximized anyway. So before yeah. we go and bring the dozers out, let's maximize what we have here. Mm-hmm. And he really wanted some new food plots. and Boom. Done. And we wanted to diversify it, so They're in. two new food plots in and look I mean, chin high clover and wheat everywhere. So they it. so they were planted in the fall. Oh yeah, done yeah. within the first yeah six months. Yep, and then I like it. Um, I like it. also uh, trying to add more diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, expanded a couple clear cuts that were already there. Pushed out stumps, a lot of stumps. Planted uh, warm season grass mix mm-hmm. so we can get some more bedding. Um, and more cover mm-hmm. uh, that they're not going to be eating. Yep. Uh, so we want native grasses, a about bit six out. acres, six to eight acres of native grasses. And then uh, also one thing uh haven't mentioned yet, but northern climate, and I, I think some people may be shocked to hear us say this, but we also laid out some evergreen thermal pockets. And instead of going with the, uh, like, vast acres of it of like saying okay well i've got 16 acres of white pine over there we're talking very similar mm-hmm. to our micro clear cuts one to three acres where he mm-hmm. went and he planted uh white pine red pine yep. eastern hemlock mm-hmm. and uh he planted those last year now he didn't specifically his son wanted me to point that out <laughs> he didn't specifically plant those he was the guy pointing from the truck y'all get out there and plant. <laughs> however they got them. planted yep and then he also, and through our ongoing conversation, um, talking about woody brows being crucial mm-hmm. and going, what do you think is the best woody brows that mm-hmm. I could add? And I'm like, well, all that young forest region is going to be amazing. But if we're looking for a species, if you're trying to pin me in a corner of a species that's native to your region that I do like, Red O's your dogwood. Mm. He goes out mm. and he bought, I don't know, from I think PA or one of the Forestry nurseries up there, and uh, he bought red osier dogwood cuttings and seedlings, twenty cents a piece or whatever, yeah. hundreds of them. Yeah, bloom, bloom, plugged them all through his wet areas. Yeah. So now he's gonna and and all right, yeah, we've said this before, but I want to make sure everybody understands this because we see this. How many times do we see trees planted in tubes, scattered oh. on the landscape? How, no, no, no. Better question. Better question. How many and, times do you see tubes thrown out across the landscape? Well, that too. But how many times <laughs> do you see trees cut for other trees to be planted? And I, 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 I yeah. say that on the heels of what you said with the evergreen, but that's a different yeah. situation. Yeah. But but literally, hard mass trees cut to plant hard mass trees or fruit bearing trees. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. But anyhow. So, yeah. Um. So he planted all this red osier dogwood, which I don't think. I don't think he had a single one on his property last prior, year. Prior now he's got hundreds of seedlings planted. And what he did, consumed. because if anybody's been around Red Ozer Dogwood and the northern climate yeah. where deer numbers are high, they hammer it. And you won't hardly grow them if if mm-hmm. they find it. So he went, and after all this timber cutting, he's got treetops everywhere. Where does he put the cuttings? In Through the treetops. Tree top. So they're protected yep. for the time being. And five years from now, those treetops will be broken down more. Those 
dogwoods will be popping out. And so he's going to add those. He's got flowering dogwoods there, which Mm -hmm. were in full bloom when I was there. So he's looking to add some of those, do a little hinging with them, try to Mm -hmm. get some more woody brows. But I couldn't be more proud of of these two landowners because it's not just one piece. They did the the same thing just down the road on the other guy's property, working together, forming a little co-op. I love it. And uh, adding some incredible diversity and... Doggone it! I wouldn't be surprised if he don't have a 150 in the coming years. Oh sure. Um, I mean, I mean, if if you're again looking at addressing the the critical points, check doing all of that. Yep. It's a matter of time. Letting some more deer get to age in the area. Trying to get as many friends and family in there shooting does as possible. Sure. And then and then adding the cover so you can carry over more of the each age class into the next year. Yeah. It's it's a it's sometimes and depending on your region can be a long-term game, but if you don't do the drastic things, if you don't do the crazy, the wild, and get after it, every year you wait, you're that much farther potentially behind from reaching that goal. So good on him. That's fantastic because that's that's aggressive. And there's no other way to address it than to get after it when you have – the the time and the equipment there on site. So those who are doing forestry management practices and or have logging yeah. coming, if you have the means, if let me say this, if your invasive species are under control on your site and you saying I w- if I can get more money for the harvest and I can utilize some of the trees that I would be cutting through TSI, but I'm just afraid that that logger is going to go ahead and maybe take a few extra. I'm going to say the sunlights, if if wildlife is your goal over Tim, get after it. Absolutely. And that was our big question last year was, it was kind of like, but if I open up the sunlight, am I going to have more Japanese still grass? Well, I, and I told him, I said, I don't know how you operate on your farm, but I'm going to tell you how I operate on my farm. I don't live in fear of what could happen when I know what I have isn't doing anybody any good. And so he hammered it. Now, this is what I love so much about this landowner, or these these two landowners, is the ability to get things done. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we live in this, you know, if, if time is limited, and you listen to our podcast, you're like, okay, I gotta, get, I gotta get rid of the invasives. Yeah. You go, well, when do I have time to make better habitat? Now, removing the invasives is making better habitat. Yeah. But it's, it's step one. If time is limited, and you're like, I need to TSI that, or I need to put in bedding thickets, but also need to go spray those invasives. You're like, how can I ever get ahead? He used this year, hammered it, and mm-hmm. and by the way, because of the paper mill and having the ability to thin the forest he now has something few of us get to really see a woodland Mm -hmm. with really 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 healthy great crowned beautiful Beautiful trees trees. still standing he cut the junk trees the weeds and made money on it and so you're saying that you can improve timber and wildlife at the same time i'm saying you can have (laughs) your cake and eat it too absolutely you and, gotta do it right, and so this man is managing for a healthy forest, mm-hmm. and he's managing for timber value, and he is improving 
the health of his deer. Shoot, they're getting some really nice young young deer sure. on camera. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've said it so many times. You can't have your cake and eat it too. We just have to know how to do it. Yeah. And a lot of times, if if you don't believe that, you haven't figured out how to do it yet. Multi-use properties are a thing. Yeah. A hundred percent, they are. I, and I've said this so many times, but if you don't, if you're thinking, well, I can't, I can't have trophy deer and quality timber. I gotta go cut my timber. Or I'm gonna go or hinge it over. Or I can't have cattle, and I can't have. You might as well deer. drive down the road and throw throw twenty dollar bills out the window because you're just wasting away money. Mm-hmm. And to me, if you're not managing for income, at least to pay make the payment. Then or, or property tax or something. Th- there, there's better ways to throw away money because you could, who knows, buy that adjoining property or mm-hmm. buy that whatever that that deer blind so you and your grandkids or kids can hunt together in a, in bad weather. Sure, whatever it is. And so this guy, man, I'm so happy. So he used this past year to really get the habitat to where he wants mm-hmm. it. And now he's get to spend. <laughs> he's not real thrilled about the second one because he's making a whole lot of money thinning that forest. Yeah. Now he's going to use this year to get rid of invasives. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so, and and how many times? It's almost like you need another lens. You have to put on a naturalist lens because his place, the understory, had patches of Japanese barberry. Mm-hmm. Probably multiflora rose. Multiflora, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Japanese stiltgrass. Oh, yeah. Um, those were the main ones. Now, we go down, and in this town, there wasn't much to eat. PA was still kind of under this quarantine area mm-hmm. deal. Burger King. Pulling a Burger King. What's the landscaping? Japanese barberry. All of them planted. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, what are we doing to ourselves? Like, why do we keep doing this? We're intentionally bending over and then put on our own foot where, you know, yeah. it's, it's like, golly. So today, uh, I'm I'm driving through town and we're going to pick strawberries. We swing by McDonald's. What do you know in their landscaping? Right here in yeah. Springfield, Missouri. Japanese barberry. Sure. Why are we so stupid? Why, why have we... Well, it's pretty. What? Come on, man. It's not even pretty. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's the thing that gets me. It has thorns, yep. and it's not even that pretty. So, so liability landscaping wise, why do you want the thorny bush r- planted everywhere across the country where your pedestrians and your yeah. uh, your your customers are walking through, cutting through? I don't get so, it. So, <laughs> so in some landscaping, what they do is they advise putting thorny bushes in front of your windows, so in case you have break-ins or whatever, people don't want to go through a thorny bush you know what hurts more worse than a thorny bush a pistol (laughs) shotgun yeah yeah (laughs) yeah um but at the same time it's like so that's a big part why they use these thorny bushes japanese barbarian landscape but it's but it's just so frustrating because you just oh another one was japanese uh what was it called wineberry wineberry yeah yeah and which it did you see a lot of brows on it? No, really, no, none. I, I barely any. Huh. I, I don't even sure if I saw any. Well, yeah, and obviously that part of the world, <laughs> if it's edible, it's getting brows, oh, yeah, and they I, weren't I, eating I on it, it too the, much. The I wouldn't say inner city Maryland, but a lot of a lot of the extremely high deer density right outside of DC, 
um, and naval bases and things like that around there. Got it. It was getting eaten. It was getting hit. Wine berry, anyhow. Actually, the fruit's not bad on them. Yeah, not I, that I'm a proponent of in bases, but yeah, just saying. Yeah, the, taste, the berry was tastes bad. terrible. Trust me, I tried it. It was <laughs> yeah. awful. Yeah. Oh, before we continue this podcast, we want to um, also take time to thank another one of our partners. Make it happen, Vortex Optics. Matt is a Legacy Twenty. Go to their website and on the apparel site and side of things, they've got some awesome gear, and you guys have oh. access to that gear at a discount. Use the code Legacy Twenty on VortexOptics.com for all of their apparel. Be sure to check them out. Yeah, I I almost said I had to look down because I'm almost always wearing a Vortex I know. shirt. Like always, always find myself. I've I've got a. Uh, 17 month old girl like today i've wore three shirts and uh, the second shirt i put on i looked i'm like oh there's uh peanut butter and banana smeared on my shirt Yum. time to go change so usually i'm wearing a vortex shirt but sure. anyway um you know so this place has got invasive so he's going to spend the next year taking care of them and you know and, and and now here's the here's the big thing he's got so much timber that I'm visit I visited in May, so through that first big growing season, and there's already there's already stump sprouts up mm-hmm. six twelve inches, mm-hmm. and the clear cuts look amazing, mm-hmm. and they're there's, well on their there's way. maples. You know how much they oh, love maples gosh. in northern climate, and red maples and sugar maples just just yeah. growing, and it's like now the biggest thing uh, the biggest thing we need is time we mm-hmm. just need this to grow this needs to mature like in a, in a mature from a habitat standpoint because then when it gets to that point then you start doing the fun stuff and i know pennsylvania's getting a prescribed fire count so they're starting to 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 allow that and get the get the works in but you just need to let it mature and get to that stage and then just keep it there just maintain it and after that man yeah it's like he asked me about fire when I was there, and I said, I think they're close. They're yeah. they're much closer today than they were yesterday at having fire. And uh, he's like, so what does that look like? And I'm like, man, with once <laughs> again, with all his timbering. Oh, sunlight. He's got oh, all yeah. these roads. Oh, yeah. It's like all we have to do is just start lining her up because mm-hmm. his roads are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's, and he's got units everywhere. So sure. he's going to be burning and setting that multifloral and barberry and all that stuff yep. back anyway. That's so awesome. I, I could not be more excited. It's one of my favorite projects so far uh, since, since starting Land of Legacy because we're going into an area. It's just like uh, Jason Brazda, the, who was on the podcast. Yeah. From Michigan, Michigan. We're going into some of these areas where, the idea is you can't grow good deer. Like, yeah. it's going to be really tough. And, you know, through stepping away from the food plots and doing more of a big-scale management, we're changing the landscape. Well, and I think when I say big-scale management, it's it's big-scale from a you're addressing the, the largest portions of the property, but two, you're doing it aggressively. And that was one of Jason's biggest things that he talked about is, hey, once I saw that there was success here and how deer related to it, and they saw this as cover, I said, I need to get those guys back and do more. Yeah. And 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 this guy in Pennsylvania, he was essentially, I'm just going to do it all because I I know how deer can relate to logging yeah. um, and timbering, and I'm just going to go ahead and just go ham on it. Yeah. And just knock it out. And yeah. Wow. 
And you know, sometimes when we lay out betting thickets on a map, it's like if they would just cut half of that, we'd be we'd be great. You're, you're yeah. Honestly, it's like year one. If you cut half, fifty percent of what's laid out to do year one, and you hunt them, and you see how wildlife react to it, I know the rest will get done in time. Because you can't experience it and watch it and see that change and and spend time around it and not know that's that's not benefiting and and reaching your goals, let's say. Yeah. It's incredible. And yeah. and we're saying that because the start in a lot of areas is so far away from quality that anything helps. Oh yeah. If they go if they go in and cut a quarter acre with a chainsaw, we know deer are gonna use it because it's so limited. Yeah, don't be surprised. But take that take that as a sign and say, quarter acre, let me do two and a quarter acres. And then we go over there and do a another acre and a quarter, then I'm gonna do acre and three quarters over here. Keep going, keep doing it. So when this guy went in to cut his I mean, we looked at every single clear cut that he had and every time i stepped up i was like, I was like dang this yeah. is a big area uh-huh. like he cut the what i laid out on the map was cut yeah and it's like whoo well i can't wait and i mean i'm just oh my fingers are crossed i hope that one day rough grouse are on that place oh sure yeah and you didn't hear any in the, the spring no up there gotcha. no no and they don't really know there's been a few – well, one of the properties I worked had a few. The guy mm-hmm. sees them. Um, so they're in the area, but it's yeah. just like, man, I just – the day he calls me to say, mm-hmm. you won't believe it, I'm going to be like – that's when it's going to be like – Have that. you heard them in the spring? Have you been able to hear them? I haven't been to a property that really? has them. No. It took, uh, me, it took me some time growing up before I knew what it was. Yeah, I've never even heard one because – you don't spend that much time in the east, anyhow. No, or the north during that yeah. time of the year. Yeah. Because, you know, this year is a little different for us, but we typically do our hardcore consulting from in the spring, uh, winter and spring. And then we're so busy, real estate, turkey season, planting season, we don't do a lot right there in that, that window of time. And <laughs> this year was like, we're turkey season, come and gone, we're st- planting season no chad sorry you got to do it <laughs> we're still on we got, the road we got more months of, of this it's, which is a fantastic blessing and a um an awesome reminder that there's a lot of people who want to make some land better yeah and i love sure. i love that i love yeah. getting those emails in and and there's then some, getting those pictures back of seeing that the stuff that you recommend is actually getting put into place it's that powerful yeah, that property those two properties because they're they're right there, less than a mile apart, and they're going through the same process. Mm-hmm. And it's like that project is something that I hope many of their neighbors, mm-hmm. many people in that part of the world who believe, who have bought the phrase that you can't make a difference in that part. If it's going to happen, we're going to throw, gonna we're gonna throw that there. phrase in the trash and say, yeah. watch ya. us. Mm-hmm. Watch us do it. Yep. And same thing with Jason Barasso. It's like, yep. can't. You can't make a big difference in on small acreage in Michigan. Watch us. 160-some inch deer. And, and it, yep. I thought it was 157 or 163, somewhere right Something in there. Something like that. And, uh, you know, a dang the, we're not one. taking credit for all the work, but we no. are certainly helping them line out and try to make the biggest mm-hmm. bang for their buck. And Yeah. And Jason 
and and Ryan both are doing some cool things, and I hope to get back up there in the future. Yeah. Um, so, mini soda. Mini soda. Yeah. I was like, wow. we might have to hold on to that one for another podcast, but here we are. We got twelve minutes. So. <laughs> oh, thanks. This this is this is eer- similar to your hunt with uh, Chad. This year, turkey season. Oh, thanks. You gave me. Tw- yeah, I have twenty minutes to kill a turkey. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. Adam. I have twelve minutes to. I imagine fit a lot three of different stuff properties in Minnesota. Happened. So yeah, no, it, it was an awesome, awesome trip because you want to talk about a diverse state when yeah. you look at it and you well, let's just take Minnesota and Wisconsin and you look at their landscapes from a historical standpoint, and you can't help but look at it that map and just study and be like, I want to go to every single one of these different colors. And if you don't know what yeah. I'm talking about, do a little bit of research and look at the different eco regions between the two different States. And it's fascinating. And it's incredibly cool to own, almost go and do like the forensics on the property and be like, wow, this, this used to be this, or this was just super cool. And now what we're seeing is, you know, pockets of monster bur oaks on two foot elevation changes and then everything around it transitions down into maple and then a credible amount of uh, shrubs and then native grass switch grass then blends into bogs and lakes it's yeah. like everywhere you look there's water but then everywhere you look there's like pockets of hardwoods pockets of evergreens pockets of shrubs and it's just like wow there's so much up here mm-hmm which is cool. And one thing that did surprise me a little bit was was the number of oaks up mm-hmm. through some of that region. Yeah. Um primarily there was um bur oak and northern red oak. There was some white oak, but um pretty pretty scarce through there. And then the shrubs. It yeah. was like you drove and you went to shrub town. I like Eight different varieties, easy, red osier, nine bark, nanny berry, American plum, gray dogwood, high bush cranberry, um, and then of course there was the invasive buckthorn everywhere. Mm. Yeah. And that's just to name a few. Yeah. But it was incredible to go and see that. But also, like you talked about earlier, if there were not that composition, say the amount of shrubs present in the landscape, there would not be deer. Yeah. The incredible winters that some of these areas visiting experience. I mean, we're talking routine, a foot and a half, two foot of snow in some of these places. Yeah. And so when you look at the structure and the understory. Or snowshoeing oh, is a is a hobby. Like they uh, actually you go have out. to, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're snowshoeing, they're cross country skiing, we're snowmobiling, yeah. green alder, all those yeah. everywhere, everywhere alders. Um, but if you don't have them, you're not going to have wildlife. Yeah, because the amount of browse that those things take, white-tailed deer. Yes. Well, even rough grouse. Yeah. Rough grouse are up there and they're eating on all the buds, and they just provide so much forage for a bunch of different wildlife that they're so important. And, you know, going in there, it was, wow, 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 look at all these, look at all these, look at all these. But then when you started walking, it was that reminder of, 
Okay. This is a lot of shrubs, but if there was if there was not this amount, and this this would be a, a desert yeah. from that wildlife standpoint. So it was good to see, but then it was like you really you really looked at the overstory and said, if you're not worth it, if you're not doing anything, you have to be gone. Yeah. Because what I know is going to come back is going to be beneficial shrubs. Yeah. And you have to be gone because you need that sunlight back down there to regenerate and and get more shrub colonies out there in the landscape. Sumac everywhere too. I mean, there was... What kind? Staghorn yeah. and rough. And then there was... Not that any of it was leaving out at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but... Really? The, so yeah. what's it? Some of it, some of it was older... But then, like, you know, when they get super old, they, like, and they're, like yeah, they're just, yeah. like, very slow. Um, but some of the uh, sumac was browsed around, like, the bark itself was consumed above the snow line. We saw that in, in, in several places, um, eating the cambium layer. The, the you bark said rough. There. I think you meant dogwood. It, did, did you I say mean that? smooth? Smooth cement. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, you said rough, and I, I had to question rough. myself for a second. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. I here. don't know if I know <laughs> that one. Yeah. Um, so that was that was awesome to see. But a lot of these properties, when we were, when we were talking food plot in the north, clover year round, let's say outside of snow, great. It's like always good for glo- growing. Never clover. burns up. On the <laughs> <sun>. <laughs> and like you don't have to worry about it. It's awesome, yeah. and it does well. It insulates decent underneath of a lot of snow. Yeah. Um. So it comes out of spring and pops very soon because it is insulated a little bit. Um. But then it comes out just roaring, and it's good all the way till through you know most of October. Yeah. But you have to have some standing grain, and yeah. I know that soybeans are so good. Right? Yeah. That's what we all hear. Overrated. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, if I'm in a northern climate, and I have higher deer densities, and I have to have grain above snow, snow. I don't want them to be foraging on that grain production, because I know how critical it is going to be. I don't yeah. want them uh, foraging on that species during the summer months. Yeah. Like You're going to have to devote some food plots to... This isn't going to be maybe great growing season food, but it has to be there, has to be present late season. So species like corn, species like Milo, where that grain is going to be above snow and they're not crushing it during the growing season. Because like when you go to some of these places and a lot of the wreck property has water on it. And so it floods, there's lakes. The amount of areas that are actually open for planting isn't a lot. Like it's yeah. a heavily heavily forested area. So, so if you plant something like soybeans, there's a good I'm chance it gets get crushed. Pounded. Yeah. And that's not everywhere across the state, of course. However, you have to be very intentional and know, okay, if I do this, why am I spinning my wheels and wasting time? I'm worried about winter. I'm yeah. worried about hunting season. Come November, I mean we're 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 in snow. We're ten inches of snow easy routinely out there. So you have to be very m- mindful of that. And they're planting corn was already popping up there, which was crazy. <laughs> but corn was popping up there. So as you're coming out of winter, 
as a manager in those states, you have to be ready and preparing for the next winter. Like there's no downtime no. in there. And whether you're probably just a resident up there or you're or you're working on behalf of wildlife, it's like your mind better be focused on winter every single time. So one of the, one of the properties there was a lot of openings. Um this actually had some more open areas. It was old pasture, um smooth brome, reeds canary, but we're going in, we're gonna plant some evergreens. Yeah. Um, there was the in in you look out because deer will definitely travel late season in areas like that. Huge ranges. Massive ranges. Where's the food source? Where's the cover? They yeah. can yard up. We've got to have that. Like we yeah. if, if it's not yeah, right if, there in the region, let's create same, it. Same thing in PA. Like if you have both that evergreen evergreen pockets mm-hmm. and the late winter food, you own the deer herd for that own. specific time. Own it. And the more you have the of both of those, mm-hmm. the more deer you can hold and gives you an, a better ability to harvest deer during the hunting season. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's not that complicated. Uh, it's, it's a very simple and, game. And I, and I think, you know, last year I dealt with this with, with the, one of the landowners is he had a lot of white pines just mm-hmm. growing up naturally and understory. Yeah. A lot of them are 15 foot tall, mm-hmm. stacked in high stem density, thick as a hair on a dog's back. Yeah. And just so much so that there wasn't even that many needles on yeah. the, they were at the very top because they're all sure. competing with each other. Yeah. I was like, when you're cutting, just smash those, like, because they're not doing they're not, our it, purpose. It's an evergreen, but it's not doing anything. Yeah. So we, we, we went found a lot of that too. Planting at a high density, similar mm-hmm. to like a Christmas tree plantings where we're trying to get the real sh- shrubby evergreen to yep. where there Tuck is some sunlight that's yep. going to help melt some snow, but on... On days where, you know, late winter, you get that six out of the seven days are cloudy. Yeah. But they can still get in those evergreens. But at the same time, when that sun does pop, they can still be bedded right in that area and it. they can just soak it up. Mm-hmm. And it won't be, it'll help melt that snow. Unlike, yeah. uh, But then you get a lot of food in those same areas, too, during bingo. the growing season. So that's exactly yeah. what one of these sites was going to have and, and be recommended is to plant it, but plant at the right density. Yeah. We're not stacking things in. And um, even along the area, like it was really actually pretty cool. There was a, a lake and then I would say around this 14 ish acre lake, 40% of the edges were all what we would, I'm air quoting bogs. Yeah. So there was like so much, vegetation essentially floating a foot below the, the surface of the water cattails going up through it um the guy he went and put pallets across it and so you could walk out to the water's edge through this bog on pallets and you're floating it's like a suspension bridge yeah and it was really kind of cool I, I hadn't really experienced that but you're floating in there and sitting in six inch deep water but walking across these pallets um so he's going to be floating across this lake and then walking on pallets across the bog to get to some of these stand sites. Oh, it cool. sounds treacherous, but it's like that access and that wind blow it right back across this lake. Dude, that's killer. It's awesome. Yeah. So that was uh, another cool feature. But that's the state in general. Um, boy, it's cool. Yeah. I, it reminds me a lot of Maine. Like almost identical to something. Probably has it has more ag for sure. Um, the parts of Maine that I visited, but um, species wise, awesome, really really neat. 
Um, How less is it bruises as far as crystal clear water? Invasives. So the biggest, yeah, the biggest invasive is European buckthorn. Um, and we saw some sites and we saw some areas that it was going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking honestly, one of the best recommendations, cause they're all, they're all shrubs. We're, we're talking yeah. three inch DBH stuff. Um, is getting one of those, uh, steel, um, oh, yeah. like, like a weed trimmer, but with the, yeah. the circular blades on them and getting after them. Um, because Bernie not help burning wood. Some of the sites, uh, pretty fuel. residential and then, oh. and then, not enough fuel. I mean, yeah. it was so like some of them was like growing underneath aspens, mm. and then dog like I it was very we go and we walk through stuff all the time. That's like oh yeah. shoot we're busting through that. It was like that made me want to think twice about going yeah. through that one thick. And I was like, I'd love to be able to burn it, but it's just not burnable right now. Yeah, like we're, we do not have fuel to be able to carry a fire. Mm. Um. So, water, water, water everywhere. Yeah. We saw sandhill cranes in a clear cut. Yeah. I'd never seen that before yeah. in my life. Um, but we had a, a landowner contacted us um, late last year. And new scheduling-wise, could make the most sense to do May. So, we had worked kind of online prior to the visit. And he had clear cuts. He had hired a logger and said, hey, I want these areas cut. Had them done during the frost. So, he they actually drove... Equipment, logging equipment, skitters across the bogs when they're frozen solid, pulled out, did these clear cuts, and they looked beautiful. I mean, they took everything. When I said clear cut, it was gone out of there, pulled it out, and um, they were able to utilize a majority of that. But the balancing of all these different landscapes, we're talking foot to two foot changes in these areas. And you have a different suite of shrubs that are coming back. You have yeah, a lot of potential water standing everywhere. It was it was very, very cool but but crazy. Like it's you kinda... could to- totally tell that deer are going to be extremely bottlenecked on some of these portions of the property. And it was like I'm gonna set up knowing that after walking this place Wet years, even minor wet years, that's not going to be wet. That's going to be dry. There's your bottleneck. Let's work and hunt, manage in and around some of these areas. And most of them had four or five of those areas that were like, man, this is killer. This is really, really good. So a lot of different challenges, but a lot of cool things to to think through, consider being up there. But regardless, the winter was insane. Yeah. And the last family that I went and saw both the husband and the wife, their, their dream was basically to have a kind of a a vacation home with their family close to like, they bought this place, ended up getting more land than what they really had initially set out for. But now like the lake is an afterthought and they are a hundred percent devoted to this property. And, um, they're bringing their family involved, like just the atmosphere, very similar to Pennsylvania. Lots of hunters, lots of people outdoors, and they love the winter up there. I think they're crazy, but they're talking about all this this silly stuff that they do outside in the winter. I'm like, y'all, you know it's like zero though, but they're they're so used to it. 
Um, but it's a dry zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Down south. Sure. Down southwest. So it's like 120. Yeah, but it's a dry heat. Yeah. Yeah. So I, if you were to give me the option to spend my summers in, like, Mississippi or my winters in Minnesota, I'd probably take winters in Minnesota over summers. And I hate summer. I hate the heat. Today, walking outside, I went for a quick Ugh. run. And yeah. I walked outside. It was midday. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I don't like this. No. It's like as soon as turkey season hit, it just switched. It's like summer. Yeah. yeah, but it's supposed to rain all week, so it'll be cool again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great family. Great family. That's so awesome. So shout out to them. Um, speaking of the elevation, one thing that in Pennsylvania, you can mm-hmm. almost see the elevation and the veins of sand correlating with low bush blueberry oh, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of felt like home to be honest with yeah. you, minus the chestnut oak scattered through and right. lack of blackjacks. But yeah, it was like, oh, look at that low uh-huh. bush blueberry. But did you um, did you see, was there enough elevation through the state that you could look on some of the the mountains and see the spring green up the difference? What was there enough elevation no, through wasn't. there? No, wasn't. Trying to think here. Sometimes that's cool going Probably, through. I mean, I because I was where I was at, there was. 600 foot mountains or mm-hmm. even more probably mm-hmm. i wouldn't i i think so but yeah. there it was so early and green up that i even down in the valleys it wasn't green enough yeah. much yeah um and they had they had a couple late snows frost up there too that i think yeah, snow that. during turkey season oh, yeah. for them they were yeah. griping about yeah mm-hmm. it's kind of like we talked early on i know there's a lot of listeners probably dealt with this but um we talked how it seemed like spring green up was happening early this year it was like every week or two weeks, then we get hit with a frost. It was like, mm-hmm. bring the brakes, pump the brakes yep. to where now we're we're in middle of May or late May. Late and May. we're still going. We haven't really dealt with heat yet. Yeah. Well, he, and Knock here's, on here, wood. <laughs> here's, the, here's the other constant reminder. Don't get ahead of yourself planting. You know, oh like, man! Like you're not winning any awards when you're planting food plots and you're the first guy in your area. Yeah. Sorry, but you're probably not gonna. They're not gonna make it. So three out happen. of five years, something bad's gonna happen. Yeah, like it, that's not the trophy to be putting on no. a wall, because no one hands it out. Because yeah. you have springs like this where it's gonna completely trick you, and then you're gonna be behind the eight ball when you get that late frost or multiple yeah. late frost snows. Or cold and rainy, so yes. the seed sits there and rots. Rots, yep. Yeah. We Works. haven't planted yet. And I ain't worried about, like, yeah. oh, no, we don't have food. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, whatever, they're they're doing fine. I got I yeah. got time. Everything's still green in the food plot, so it's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was one last thing. So, top three favorite species that you found in, in Minnesota found yeah um, not like that they were new but like yeah. oh there it is there's the all-american well that i was looking red for. osier was absolutely everywhere because there's so much wet and, yeah and it's like whatever i mean it was might like, as well be the state shrub. shrub oh yeah i mean it, it, it would, might be the state shrub i don't know if not it ought to be because it was just like a, some areas it's just like a red hint it was just like oh it's still red oh yeah 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 it yeah. was beautiful it, it was so talking with this landowner he's like i've never i don't know what it looks like <laughs> this is a funny story because i don't know what it looks like like i said it gets a real red stem in the winter and it's just like almost bright bright mm-hmm. red and he's like 
man, where I feel like I've seen that. And he, he, while I was up there, he goes, you know what? Here's a funny story for you. I found it. I knew where it was. He said, that's the shrub that I have to cut back every year because it slaps my, my <laughs> mirrors, mirrors when I'm driving out of my driveway. Uh, that's um, funny. Red osier. But I didn't see enough of it to qualify it. I would say American blackberry because in all his cutting, blackberries just coming Pounded up. back, yeah. And... Um, another really awesome one that I just really, you know, we don't get to see it a lot where we're at, but in that part of the world kind of keys in with rough grouse and I know what logging and so Aspen. That was going to be mine too. Aspen. I just pulled up that picture. There's one of the big it's just lakes. so pretty. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Did you run into white. any tamaracks? Um, I saw them. Yeah. Yeah. Driving around, but on the property that we were working, no, yeah. there were none, none, no gotcha. tamarack swamps or. Larch yeah. is another. And then the other one I like is uh, Eastern Hemlock. Yeah. I do. I love little pine cones on them. Yeah. Little cones, I guess. Um, Eastern Hemlock is pretty. Um, I would say I'm going to hit on the Aspen. But then I, I see it all the time, and, and we, we talk about it nonstop. But some of the bur oaks up there. Yeah. Whew, I mean, pretty they cool. were like, I – because – because again, you go to those eco regions across the state, and we there was prairie, there was more swamp land, but regardless, there were still bur oaks um, spread throughout it. And I just my mind just was like, go back three hundred years and try and picture what this place was, and it was just high knobs with beautiful bur oaks everywhere. And I mean, there there's some monster trees out there, you know, huge uh, wolfy stuff. Going back to my roots. Um, Roots, being from the town of Little House in the Prairie. Oh, you know, I saw the, it. I saw oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Because a couple of the books were setting in Mankato, in, in uh, Minnesota. Yep. Like uh, on the banks of Plum Creek was Minnesota, I believe, and I think Little House in the Big Woods is Minnesota. Yeah. If yeah. I remember right. Mankato is a town they frequented, I guess, or there was some sort of setting. But yeah, drove uh, really close to it. Yeah, Walnut Grove too, um, but yeah, so pretty cool Another trip. Blue blue spruce were a cool thing too. Oh yeah, yeah. Just don't just don't see them. Um, yeah. Was there much wildlife usage and like bedding? You think with them? So, the the last property I visited was forty acres, and the landowner's relative had twenty acres that was adjoining, and we just made a a quick little loop through there, and they had primarily all evergreens and this property didn't have any so i didn't we didn't really spend much time we just kind of saw the edge and that was it so i, oh, I really gotcha. didn't spend much time in it to, gotcha. to truthfully know and see yeah well hopefully uh you guys in the northern climate got something where you felt yeah. like we were talking to you in this week's podcast and i know there's going to be more in the future because it sounds like well i'll be back in northern ohio next month um coming up so that's coming up yeah. Pretty, pretty soon. Actually, it'll be less than a month. But, yeah, and then I'll be in Texas <laughs> next week. So I know. Oklahoma, Kansas Yuck. this week, and then <laughs> Virginia and Maryland coming up here soon. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, hey, if you could, please head over to YouTube and uh, yeah. check out our Land and Legacy YouTube channel and subscribe for us, please. You're getting ready to see some. We put our last turkey hunt of the year. Um, we're saving some of the others for next year. Um, but, you're going to start seeing some more habitat how-to stuff coming out on that channel. So please go and subscribe to support us. 
Anyway, guys, we will catch you next week. See ya.